Jurassic Park was an incredibly popular film. Since its release, experts have struggled to inform the public of what it got right and what it got wrong. The movie has impacted so many people and their ideas around dinosaurs that the franchise seems to be trying to reconcile its science with its fiction in newer films. It is no easy task, as we are constantly making discoveries that reshape our understanding of these often large and terrifying animals. Specifically, the scariest ones will always take center stage in an action movie, although there is an effort to show more peaceful species as well, grazing in the background. Any anatomical differences between the dinosaurs in the original movie and our modern understanding can be explained away by the mention that damaged DNA was spliced with modern species in order to complete the sequence. Despite this, the newer depictions do include more feathers. Box office success aside, Jurassic Park can't take all the credit for our love of dinosaurs. It's only on the surface of a much older obsession. Dinosaurs have captivated people since well before Jurassic Park came out. Dinosaur bones, after all, did not suddenly appear in the modern era. They were here all along, sitting undisturbed for magnitudes of time longer than human-like animals have even existed. Chinese traditional medicine has made use of many things some people would not consider edible. But the fact that they documented all of it over such long period of time is historically valuable. In fact, the land of the dragon happens to be especially fossil rich with examples going all the way back to the Precambrian up to the present. One Chinese example is their use of Devonian brachiopod shells, petrified remnants of an ancient clam-like animal which are ground to a powder and mixed into water to treat rheumatism, as well as most other ailments. This has kept fossils culturally current for centuries with many people writing about them in detail. Fossils in Chinese traditional medicine are known as longu, meaning dragon's bone. This can show us just how long China has been thinking about reptilian dinosaurs, long before Europeans became interested. Furthermore, maybe Central Americans even found one long ago with intact plumage, prompting images of feathered serpents. We can learn from those who have collected fossils the longest and hopefully prevent fossil destruction in the process. When someone drinks fossils, they are gone forever and paleontologists have missed the opportunity to study them. We are now able to extract a surprising amount of information from fossils and not only about the animals that made them. We can also learn about the water they lived in, the temperature and mineral composition and oxygen levels, which help paint a picture of their world at the time. It is impossible to estimate how many fossils have been destroyed by people with good intentions. However, paleontologists have traveled to China seeking fossils and many native experts have joined in. Some view the scientists as competition, but others assist them while others view them as one more vendor to buy what they find. This system does seem to be working as journals keep publishing exciting finds out of China, which enriches the global knowledge base around dinosaurs and other fossils. Sitakasaurus, the little known but adorable parrot lizard, is arguably the most important dinosaur in terms of how much humans have learned from a single group. 
Found across Asia, these animals appeared about 125 million years ago and persisted for 25 million years. Humans as a species are only a few hundred thousand years old, to give some context. These dinosaurs were gone by the time Chicxulub crashed into the Yucatan, causing the famous mass extinction that wiped out the non-avian dinosaurs only 65 million years ago. During the Cretaceous, much of Asia was covered by subtropical conifer forests and lakes. It also experienced regular volcanic eruptions. These factors have worked in our favor to preserve vast numbers of fossils. Like in Pompeii, those eruptions would have devastated large areas regularly. Also bittersweet is how many young cetacosaurs have been found in the remains of that volcanic hellscape. Their sacrifice has provided us with volumes of data on dinosaur development and growth. So much data, in fact, we can determine that these animals grew rapidly for the first four years of life, reaching sexual maturity around seven and full size by nine years old. Humans mature much lower than that, but we are somewhat late bloomers by mammalian standards. Compared to reptiles, however, cetacosaurs grew very quickly. These factors give us an idea about what their metabolism was like, how much they needed to eat, etc. Cetacosaurus skin has been so well preserved that we can see the abdominal scar where the yolk would have attached. Incredible and shared with crocodiles. While less savory, but at least as important, is the first fossilized cloaca. The rear-facing orifice is the norm in nature, except for us placental mammals. But we could only hope to find one fossilized on an actual dinosaur. Melanin happens to be a surprisingly durable molecule and was found preserved in rounded lobes around this region. This indicates perhaps that this animal might have displayed colorful patches on its rear to attract mates, like the baboon and maybe even house glands like their cousins, the crocodilians and birds. While we are lucky to have these specimens, no actual glands or sex organs were preserved. Although there are corpolites, which are fossilized excrement. Enough melanin survived to prove that like many animals, Cetacosaurus used contrasting camo known as countershading to darken their backs and sides with lighter color underneath. These darker patches obscure the shapes of an animal by hiding shadows, and it creates an illusion of an optically flatter two-dimensional shape. Also preserved very well were long proto-feathered filaments, which stood up along the top of their tails in a brief segment near the middle. Previously so-called bird-hipped dinosaurs, despite the bird in their name, were thought to have no feathers that only theropods like Velociraptor had them. This is important because of how old Cetacosaurus is. Having feather-like filaments proves that some older species of dinosaurs had already begun the process of growing some type of fibers from their skin. Whatever genes regulated this development may have made their way into other branches of dinosaurs instead of only the later aviums. If these also appeared in the group dinosaurs came from, Archosauria Perhaps other species stopped growing them, and maybe alligators carry dormant genes. 
Archosauria, meaning ruling reptiles, includes dinosaurs, pterosaurs, and crocodilians, of which only crocs and dino birds are still around. Of course, it should be noted that many different traits have appeared in unrelated animals over and over again, sometimes with the same goals in mind, as with wings. But birds are not descended from pterosaurs, but rather land-dwelling dinosaurs. Likewise, both whales and crocodilians began as land animals. Neither are descended directly from fish, despite their aquatic lifestyles. Sotakasaurus fossils have shown that their hind legs grow faster than their back ones, indicating that they were quadrupedal while young, but more bipedal as adults with stronger, better developed rear legs. Later, similar animals like Triceratops were much larger and stayed quadrupeds due to weight. Sotakasaurus was much smaller, about six and a half feet long and nearly half of that was tail. Many famous dinos are reconstructed from fragments of bone from one skeleton. Sotakasaurus has provided 12 subspecies to study, all so well preserved that we are better able to reconstruct other similar species. In this way, they have taught science a great deal about dinosaurs in general. From fossil evidence, it is clear they were proficient breeders, and their young provided food to many other species, like the one found in the stomach of a badger-like mammal called Repenomamus. Our almost mammal ancestors were very successful until the Permian extinction. After their earth recovered, surviving early mammals became nocturnal, under too much threat from archosaurs, who rushed to fill most of the predator niches. Repenomamus appeared in China around the same time Sotakasaurus did, but only endured a couple million years. Even so, it was large enough to hunt those small dinosaurs, which it certainly did with a vengeance. It was the largest mammal that we have found, while most other species became smaller than rats, which has made finding those delicate fossils difficult. Scientists believe that many of our mammalian features are due to this period of time having forced our egg-laying ancestors into lives of nocturnal scavengers, burrowing for daytime safety, and evolving many traits beneficial to nightlife, such as fur, whiskers, excellent smelling, and hearing. Our sharp hearing is due to the migration of small jaw bones, which have repurposed into acoustic mechanisms deep within our inner ears. This may also explain why our ears grew so large and mobile in order to accommodate more sensitive equipment. Incidentally, some people are still able to wiggle their ears, a vestigial trait that most of us have lost over time. Almost all living mammals now give birth to well-developed offspring, but during the age of the dinosaurs, mammalian hips would not allow that nor could the mother's abdomen stretch to accommodate larger offspring. The proof can be found in the four remaining species of echidnas and one species of platypus, who are egg-laying monotree mammals, all found around Australia. Their name actually denotes more than how they give birth, since it references the fact that they have only one opening, like birds and reptiles, and all reproduction and waste removal uses that common doorway. After they hatch, monotremes have to climb onto their mothers without even a nipple to attach to. Rather, milk is secreted from areas on her abdomen. 
This last sanitary approach may account for monetary milk containing high levels of antibacterial proteins. Perhaps more similar to us are the marsupials who don't lay eggs, but instead give birth to underdeveloped young after mere weeks, who then continue their months of gestation outside the mother's body in a pouch. Also fascinating is that many marsupials have double reproductive organs like some reptiles. The only marsupial in North America is the Virginia opossum, which migrated north. Their ancestors migrated into South America from Australia via Antarctica when those continents were closer. That's probably enough about lactating mammals. Let's get back to dinosaurs. In recent years, paleo artists have done exhaustive research in order to most accurately depict both avian and non-avian dinosaurs. For that matter, pterosaurs as well, who had coats of hair like pycnofibers and were probably warm-blooded. The largest living theropod dinosaur is actually the ostrich. Can that help us draw other theropods like a T-Rex? Well, sort of. Feathers can do several things, but primarily they insulate. There is a rule in nature that influences how much insulation an animal needs or can tolerate. Larger animals like elephants can overheat easily and so their coats are sparse. It seems generally an animal the size of a rhino or larger will probably not have much insulation in terms of hair or feathers. So T-Rex may have had some feathers but probably not as many as a pigeon for example. With nothing left but bones, we have to use our imaginations and any clues we can find in other related species. Theropods have hollow bones that have persisted to this day, but the number of feathers they grew really became substantial when they shrank below that rhino-sized threshold. Possibly due to island gigantism, elephant birds lived in Madagascar until perhaps the 1200s, but most theropods have been steadily shrinking for millions of years. One possible motivation for this is the way in which the atmosphere changed after the other dinosaurs were wiped out. During the impact, huge amounts of sulfur and carbon dioxide were thrown into the atmosphere, blocking out the sun for years. At least 75% of life on Earth perished. This caused the food chain to collapse and the global temperature to plummet. In those conditions, it makes sense that smaller insulated theropod, as well as small nocturnal mammals and bottom-feeding crustaceans, might survive longer than a huge T-Rex. In fact, almost no animal over about 55 pounds survived. There was still debate around whether large theropods like the T-Rex were warm-blooded but almost all modern birds certainly are. One sturdy theory attempts to answer the long-standing question by offering a third method of thermoregulation, mesothermia. This theory explains that larger dinosaurs would have operated at higher temperatures than their smaller cousins by virtue of heat retention, without having to burn energy to generate heat when the weather got colder. Warm-blooded animals need to sweat or pant to cool, and shiver to burn brown fat to warm up. 
Likewise, smaller Mesothermic dinosaurs may have compensated with more feathers to stop them from warming or cooling too quickly as weather changed. This theory provides that Mesothermic dinosaurs would have been able to adapt to many different climates without being completely warm-blooded. And maybe as birds grew thicker feathers, they took that path to the end and became truly warm-blooded. It's worth mentioning that many birds are able to enter a kind of hibernation called torpor when temperatures drop too low. Maybe a similar technique helped early dino birds survive after the global catastrophe. In conclusion, we could talk about dinosaurs for hours. There are so many facets to these enigmatic animals, and humans have always been fascinated by them. We perform genetic experiments that give chickens back their teeth and obsess over whether or not we can clone a velociraptor. In any city in the US, you're likely to see a ubiquitous Chinese dragon, even if it's only on a menu. Godzilla could have resembled a slender dragon, but instead they made him even more like a dinosaur, complete with stegosaurus plates. Those terrible lizards are everywhere, and we could even include Loch Ness Monster, but plesiosaurs, like pterosaurs, were cousins to the dinosaurs. It may or may not be possible to clone a non-avian dinosaur, but let's not forget how many other species are just as dead. Within the short span of human history, we have hunted multiple bird species to extinction, and that's after their ancestors survived the planet-killing impact. Passenger pigeons and the giant moa could potentially be resurrected from extinction, but it is far easier to conserve living species around us right now, while we still have time. Instead of obsessing over dinosaurs, maybe we should spend time with the ones still flying around us. More paleontologists should also be bird watchers. Let's not make humanity the next extinction event. The Everything, One Bite at a Time podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for listening.